0: Paxlovid, an oral antiviral available through the FDA emergency use authorization, is the latest treatment for COVID-19. It could be a game changer. And on this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll discuss the evidence from clinical trials around Paxlovid. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Visient, and joining me again for a repeat appearance is Dr. Stacy Lauderdale. Stacy, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. So in the previous podcast, we discussed some of the trials with Paxlovid and what they showed about the drug's effect. And we also spoke that we don't really feel it's resistance that we're having these rebound cases, but really more of a, we're just may not treating these patients long enough. Do you want to re-comment to that?
1: Yeah. So there are several case reports that have looked at patients who have experienced rebound. And again, in those patients, resistance was not a feature of that rebound. But I will say that in the laboratory, at least, we know that SARS-CoV-2 is capable of developing resistance against Paxlovid. And so there's, in my opinion, concern there. So we need to figure out, do we need to treat a patient longer? Do we need to treat them with a cocktail? And I would also emphasize we need to use it judiciously as well for those patients that actually would have a benefit.
0: You know, before we go into the interaction, let's talk about what patient candidates should we be using this on? So I think that, not to put words in your mouth, but reinforce what I'm saying, it really should be the older patient, whether they're vaccinated or not, and has a risk of developing severe disease. But I would put a lot more emphasis on the older patient. Any thoughts behind that?
1: So I 100% agree with the caveat. Again, we're basing a lot of our recommendations at this point based on that imperfect real-world evidence, right? So what I do know for certain is that in the patient who is unvaccinated or under-vaccinated, who is at high risk, it's a must. For those individuals that are vaccinated or maybe have some immunity from an infection, I think that's where we're less clear. Age, absolutely, would be one of my differentiators. I would certainly use it in my older patients. And the Israel study seems to suggest that threshold is 65 and older. Kind of other things that real-world evidence hints at is that obesity, a BMI of greater than or equal to 30 at least, tends to have a positive effect in these individuals even if they're vaccinated. Another risk factor that stuck out in many of these real-world studies was immunosuppression. You know, again, regardless of vaccination, appears to have a positive effect in those individuals as well.
0: In fact, just being elderly means you're immunosuppressed. Your immune system isn't what it used to be. You still have lots of humoral and type of memory cells that protected you beforehand, but they just don't respond as well as they used to. Exactly. And I couldn't agree more in reference to the obesity factor. I know that there's a lot of data behind diabetes, but quite frankly, a large portion of patients with type 2 diabetes are also overweight. So I think that this makes complete sense. Is there a patient type other than pediatric that I should definitely not consider giving this drug to?
1: Well, at this point, the only thing I can say for certain is those that have a contraindication. And what are they? Your major contraindications have to do with interacting drugs. Okay. So CYP3A4, drugs that are metabolized, Paxlovid is a CYP3A4 inhibitor. And in some instances, you can increase the concentration of these drugs to dangerous levels. So an example of a common one might be Xeralta.
0: That's excellent feedback. What about patients with underlying renal disease or even hepatic disease? Do I need to be concerned with that?
1: Yeah, you do. There is a renal dosage adjustment that you need to be made. And then if someone has severe hepatic impairment, you obviously don't want to use it in those individuals either.
0: Can you elaborate more on the drug-to-drug interactions?
1: Sure. So, ritonavir is a CYP3A4 inhibitor, and so there's a lot of CYP3A4 interactions. And for your listeners who are interested, IDSA has a really great management guide for the most commonly prescribed drugs that interact with Paxilvid. But one of the cases I want to make is there's really a spectrum of patient impact. And I want to spend some time about those individuals that have absolute contraindications. So they're receiving a drug that they absolutely cannot receive, Paxil did, And I wondered to myself, you know, how common is that? And there's a health system up in Minnesota that looked at a cohort of 66,000 patients who would meet criteria to receive. And in this cohort, about 15% of patients had a contraindication, which in my opinion is not terrible. I thought it might be more. But what I found interesting is they also looked at patients who were hospitalized due to COVID that needs to receive ICU care and that ultimately died. And in those that ultimately died, 36% of those actually had a contraindication to Paxlovid therapy. And so I kind of look at that data and I interpret it as those most at risk of dying may be more likely to have a contraindication. And so I think this speaks of the need to have alternative therapies. And right now there's moldopiravir and bebtilovimab, which don't have as good of a data as Paxlovid. But I think it also speaks to maybe the need to consider in very high-risk patients that may have contraindications, prophylactic MAP.
0: You mentioned Zeralto as being a contraindicated medication. For those that are non-clinical listening, this is a blood thinner for patients who have a history of atrial fibrillation or stroke or even have a history of clotting. And truth is, there are a lot of patients in these drugs. How about similar NOACs or DOACs? Is, Is that also contraindicated? The number one prescribed NOAC.
1: It does interact, but the good thing is you can decrease the dose, especially if you're receiving that mid-level dose, you can decrease it and still receive therapy.
0: So I would just say for those listening, if you are in a blood thinner per se, just keep that in mind. If someone's prescribing a pexlova, to you, just bring it to the prescriber's attention that you are on that medication. Any additional studies that you know are being planned specifically with the Omicron subvariants that are occurring?
1: So there's one study that I am actually excited about. It's being conducted in the UK. It's called the Panoramic Study. And they are enrolling both vaccinated and unvaccinated patients who've received Paxlovid therapy. And I think it'll be very interesting to see what their results are. The other ongoing trial that also is interesting is the recovery trial. And for your listeners, they may recognize the recovery trial. This is a trial that's been ongoing in the UK, looking for treatments for hospitalized patients. And so we're actually now going to start looking at Paxilvid in hospitalized patients with COVID.
0: I don't mean to go into a controversial field, but I think it's important since access is such a big issue for us right now. The pharmacist's can prescribe, particularly Paxlovid, and even do the study at their locations. And I know there's been some issues with the AMA not really being in support of that, but I have to tell you as a primary care physician, I struggle. I'm not proud to say that if someone wants to see me now, it's going to be until October that I have an open space to see them. So can you give me your perspective and what your colleagues in the pharmacy world or feedback they have in reference to this?
1: Sure. So let me first say that I do understand AMA is concerned. Like we already mentioned, in order to safely prescribe this, you have to know renal hepatic function, and you also have to have a complete list of drugs. To screen for drug interactions. But on the converse side, what I would say is that pharmacists in many states have already been practicing under these collaborative practice agreements where they can initiate therapy, they can change therapy. And so this is not wildly out of scope. It's not a new and or different thing that pharmacists have done. A lot of the feedback that I've received from pharmacists is that the way that it's been laid out by HHS is frustrating for them because they really can't manage therapy without working underneath a collaborative practice experience. So right now, if you're a pharmacist and you want to prescribe it, but you'd have to dose adjust, you have to send them back to the physician. And for many pharmacists, that's frustrating. But the last thing I would say, and with full disclosure, my husband is a retail pharmacist. One of the things he said to me is, you know, during the pandemic, I was open all the time. Didn't matter if you're positive for SARS-CoV-2 or not, you could come see me. And he said, you many of my patients weren't able to get into physicians, as you mentioned. Uh, they were told to go telehealth, but there weren't any telehealth visits to be had. And so to me, from just a mere accessibility standpoint, pharmacists make a lot of sense to be able to prescribe this. And we are pharmacotherapy specialists. So in my opinion, it makes a lot of sense as long as the pharmacist feels that he or she can prescribe that drug safely.
0: I think it speaks to the importance of all healthcare professionals working up top of license. It just makes sense at this moment. Hope I don't get letters for that, but I'm telling you, it just makes sense. It's the right thing for our patients. Safety. how about Paxlovid mouth? Can you kind of tell us what that's about?
1: Yeah, so in trials, one of the most common side effects was a metallic mouth. I think the incidence was five or 6% in trials. But, you know, I think in the real world, we're seeing a lot higher incidences of that metallic mouth.
0: Do we know why that happens? I do not. Interesting. I've only seen it in one of my cases. Huh. So, any parting thoughts?
1: Yeah, you know, I recently read an essay and it was called Let's Stop Dispensing Paxlovid Like Pez. And (laughs) I thought that was a funny title. I wish I came up with it. But I agree. Let's be judicious when we prescribe it. And let's really, from an individual patient perspective, determine do we think that the benefit will outweigh any known or unknown risks. And to me, that's really the take-home message. We know that as prescribers, we have to individually for each of our patients weigh the benefit versus the risk of a drug therapy. And I think that's what we need to do here.
0: You've converted me. Thank you so much. Thanks. And to our listeners, you can contact Stacy at her email in the resource section of the podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to Modern Practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast.com. We've posted a link in our research section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.